Hello and welcome to Explore, the podcast where we talk with business leaders about their careers and their industries. Today, I'm joined by Naomi Titleman. She's a former human resources vice president at American Express, and she's now an entrepreneur and creator of two businesses. She also writes articles in the Globe and Mail. And my favorite of all topic, she's also a podcaster. I think, in short, we should think about Naomi as the human resources expert for the show. And today we'll talk about the role of technology in the corporate world, from recruitment to the field of work and many other topics. If you like this episode and if you like the show, please give it five stars and a follow on your podcast platform. That would truly help the podcast grow. Then after break, we'll go explore. So Naomi, first of all, thank you so much for taking time to meet with me today. I appreciate it. And if you don't mind sharing a bit about yourself, what you do now and what was your dream job as a kid. Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me, Hugo. So I will take a little bit of a journey back to 2000 when I entered the workforce. I started out at uh, Deloitte at a big firm in risk management. Um, so I did my MBA at Columbia and then I joined Deloitte's human capital practice because I wanted to focus on the people problems and then did that for a little while. And then I had my second child and decided that consulting was too much of a, a grind with all the travel. So I decided to go into corporate human resources. I was at American Express for a few years, most recently as the head of HR for American Express Canada. And then seven years ago, I went on my, out on my own to start my own business. So I have an advisory business where I consult with companies around anything to do with the talent strategies that they need to contemplate in this new world of work. And then I have another business with a business partner called Future Forward with an HR in the middle of that word, Future Forward, F-O-H-R-W-A-R-D. And we have a podcast called Foresight. We have a newsletter also called Foresight, and we have a CHRO community that we've built called Foresight Plus. So that's been my journey to date. And, um, you know, I always knew that I loved the people side of the business. When I was in university, I was always craving and looking for those human resource courses. Unfortunately, at the schools that I went to at the time, there weren't very many, but I always knew that I had this passion for the people side of the business. Great. Now that's interesting. It's, um, it's always interesting for me to see people that have been always excited about the topic that they're working on because so many people come out of university and they don't know what to do and then they figure it out along the way. It's interesting that some people already have that in their, in their self back in university. But Naomi, so you were at the top of American Express uh, Human Resources in Canada, which I think is quite impressive. What's the reason why you would create such a good role? Um, I was at this juncture in my career where I had to make a move. And I knew that for family reasons, we were staying in Canada. And so as I contemplated, you know, do I want another kind of global role at American Express, which would take me away from my market? Or is it time to do something different? And so I decided to do something different. And at the time, I was really interested in this whole concept of the future of work. And so what I decided was, I'm going to kind of keep my eyes open for a little while. I'm going to keep my mind open for a little while and see, do I want a new role? Um, or do I want to start something on my own? And actually, a great, amazing project came my way before a role that I wanted to pursue. And so I kind of saw it as a signal to at least try it. And I think what's so wonderful about the world we live in right now in terms of the working options we have is that you can flow in and out of independent and big corporate and startup. You know, I took on my first project and then the projects just started coming my way from there. 
on the Future Forward side, we had started Future Forward as a once a year conference, and that's evolved a ton since then. Um, obviously, the pandemic forced us to pivot a little bit. We were going to do our fourth annual conference in 2020, and we all know what happened to that. So it was a little bit letting myself explore uh, and then coming across projects and uh, partnerships and engagements that were just very impactful that didn't make me crave going back to a big corporate role. Were you scared at all that you would, you know, run out of money or like that your side projects wouldn't bring as much for your family? Like, did you have a plan going into entrepreneurship, if you want to call it that way? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to go in eyes wide open. One of the downsides to going out on your own is there's a lot more uncertainty in terms of financial, you know, stability. It's not a regular paycheck that you get on, you know, a regular cadence. There obviously are some tax benefits to going out on your own and running your own company. But that being said, yeah, I mean, that's always that's always on my mind in terms of, you know, am I am I going to make enough money to support my family? Thankfully, I have a partner who ha does have a, a more of a full time corporate job. So we kind of partner together to figure out what makes sense for our family. Yeah. And that's always the case. There is always a, a great partner behind an entrepreneur's success that, you know, supports for the family or like kind of is helping and supporting the person to go through the challenges that comes with being an entrepreneur. So let's go back into a bit of your expertise within the human resources department. Um, and I think the, the first topic that we want to address today is the role of technology and potentially artificial intelligence as well in human resources. Let's try and talk about the future of work and how do you see the world changing you know, since the pandemic? So um, let's start actually with what the pandemic did for us in terms of our comfort with technology, because I think that's really important. Um, so the pandemic taught us that we can work in a different way, right? We had this inclination before the pandemic. I personally have been part of organizations who have leveraged technology and done hybrid working models since I joined the workforce in 2000. So that was a very long time ago. But we, we kind of had this global experiment, right, at scale that we know now that we can get work done remotely. So I think the pandemic opened our eyes to what's possible when we leverage technology to its fullest potential, right? So then next going to, you know, the next kind of wave that we've experienced of massive change, which is this generative AI, you know, it's hard to believe that really it only came to the forefront less than a year ago, right? You know, there is tons and tons and tons of potential. And we spend a lot of time at Future Forward exploring, looking for kind of where to start in HR, um, how to empower employees through generative AI, how to use it safely and how to think about it so that it's not compromising your, you know, your organizational data. Like all of those questions are still very much at the forefront of what we're contemplating when we think about how generative AI is going to change the work. It absolutely 100% will and already is. But there's still some hesitation because of the risks that are still unknown, the policies that are still not fully formed. So, you know, cybersecurity is a massive, a massive question on people's minds now. So absolutely, it will fundamentally change the way we work. Um, you know, there's so much opportunity to leverage generative AI. And as it gets smarter there's going to need to be less human intervention. There's still very much a need for human intervention in the way we use AI in our workplaces. 
And so I don't think it's a bad thing that AI will get smarter and will remove some of those types of tasks so that they can focus on what they really add value to. I mean, there are a couple of topics following on what you just said. I think we need to readapt or at least to change the way we work because the thing is, some of us, and I can speak for myself, like I never really knew what an office environment looked like because I came into the workforce basically when COVID hit and I never really knew what the office environment, like the regular office environment looked like. Like it was never something that I lived through as an experience. One of the things that comes with that is how do we, do we adapt for things such as networking, for example, like when there is no, when there is no coffee machine anymore. How do you, you know, just bump randomly to people and talk with them? Yeah, I mean, some organizations are fully remote, right? So they literally need to invest their resources and, and money in what they would have spent on an office to solve the co-location problem, right? Like, how do we bring our people together purposefully um, at least X number of times per year, right? Because I do believe that people need to be face-to-face with one another. I'm not giving a prescriptive number of days, or but I do believe that in-person connection builds foundation that is needed to work properly and more effectively when you're remote, right? It builds trust. It, you, you understand people's, um, you know, people's full lives and stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily happen in a remote environment. So I I think that's part of the challenge that we're facing right now. And that's part of the divide that there is a happy middle ground. And, you know, there there is room for fully remote offices or fully remote organizations to then deliberately bring people together. I think the majority of organizations will end up in that hybrid mode where you are expected to be in the office some portion of the week, the month, the whatever it is, right? There is a physical office location that you're expected to be at on a on a regular cadence. And I think what's important for people entering the workforce or who entered the workforce during the pandemic to know is that you're not going to feel the benefits of that in-person networking or in-person connection until way later on in your career, right? So I think, you know, for those who are adamant that they can get their work done fully remotely and don't ever need to see a human, um, I want to say, trust me, building those relationships in person, even if it's not on a weekly basis, is just so fundamental to your growth and career in the long run. It's just how we we socialize as humans. so I don't, I don't think it's an all or nothing. I think it's just be mindful of the type of trust and foundation you build when you're with someone, even for an hour. Yeah, and no, I agree. And, you know, speaking for personal experience, like recently I've been able to go on a trip and see my manager in Dublin. And like in two or three days of work, like we achieved much more, I think, than we could have in like a week or two. And that's the only reason why is that we were both in a room disconnected from anything else no teams message open no emails open like truly connecting with each other and just working on the topic together and i think like we went much faster and we connected much deeper thanks to just being in person and being you know seeing each other physically which i think helped a lot um and i agree with you i think like for me right now like i'm not long enough into my career to be able to feel the connection to people that hack on it really me. But like whenever I speak to someone on podcast, it's always about their connection more than anything else. So I agree with you. I think there's tremendous potential in like face-to-face human connection every now and then. Um, 
Going back on generative AI, I think many people are afraid right now that it's going to take their job. Like that's something you read in the news or like on any social media every day. But I feel like my opinion on that is most probably it's just going to eliminate some of the mundane tasks that we have. And the rest, it's probably going to stay the same. Like the jobs are going to evolve and, you know, we will find jobs for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I think there's a new saying that's going around that it's not AI that's going to replace our jobs. It's the people who know how to use AI that's going to replace our jobs, right? Um, so absolutely, AI is going to get more intelligent as it progresses. But there's still things that we know that it won't be able to do as well as humans, right? And I think even now, I think people implement tools and they're like, they want to set it and forget it. And they want it to kind of just do the job. But there's still human lens and human judgment that needs to be applied. And I don't think that will completely go away. And even like even at its infancy stages, we, we see new jobs emerging, right? Like prompt engineering is no joke. Like you can't just tell Gen AI, like, go do this. You, you need to be really savvy with your prompts in order, to, in order to benefit from the efficiencies that it will provide. Otherwise, you're going to prompt it. It's going to spit out something that is not good. And then you're going to have to keep on prompting it. And, and it's like a trial and error, right? So that is a skill already that's emerged that needs to be built almost in all of us. Like all of us are going to need to be comfortable with prompting for, for AI. So I 100% agree. I think just like any other technology that's come out, obviously AI is a really, really big deal. A lot of people feel that it's bigger than the internet. And look how many jobs have been created because of the internet. I'm just so excited by the power of not needing to manually create spreadsheets and manually consolidate data. And there's so much room for human error when we do that, especially in HR, right? Like I think of all the manual processes we had to go through for all of our, you know, our different, you know, employee lifecycle processes and the, the power of Gen AI and eliminating, you know, not just the mundane tasks, but the the um, the aggregation of massive amounts of data that's so fraught with human error. Yeah. And are you scared at all? Like when we think about AI in the recruiting process, some people say it's going to have a lot of bias because it's going to be trained on data, you know, from a certain country, from a certain school or whatever. Are you afraid that, for example, collecting CVs and splitting them out between the good and the bad CVs through AI is a concern for people in their careers? Yeah, I think it is a concern right now because I don't think it's smart enough yet. I think it's something to pay very, very close attention to. So just like we have biased recruiters, we will have biased AI. Right now, we have to almost be like parallel pathing a little bit, right? So it creates, it's not quite efficient yet because we need to keep a very close eye on what it's thinking and doing so that we can course correct before it's too late. Um, so right now, I'd be very concerned about someone relying entirely on AI. But that being said, you know, there are ways also to leverage AI to eliminate some of the human bias. And I think potentially a long term, like we will be writing CVs just like prompt engineering, basically, because you will have to make sure that your CV go through the AI first and therefore you write it in a certain way so that it has the right names correlated to your skills and capabilities so that it goes through smoothly and then you get to the human person that's going to read your CV. Just switching on another topic, right now, some people are a bit more far away from the center of the company, but it doesn't mean that they don't do a good job. 
how would you think about talent strategy in general? Because like it's still more you see people in the office every day, the, the top performers that you can see that raise their hand a lot and everything like that's something that in the past would be easy to find people and, you know, either recruit them or promote them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity in talent strategy. So firstly, leaders are still leaders and leaders still have to keep on top of how their how their people are performing. Right. Like that that role is even more critical now than ever before. Um, so, you know, there's still a human lens to performance evaluation, talent assessment, which is, you know, more on the potential side. But what I love about the opportunities with AI is that it actually takes the subjectivity out of it a little bit and is able to aggregate. It will be able to aggregate lots of different data points in terms of who people connect with, who people are meeting with. Like there's just so much organizational information out there that takes some of the bias out of it. And I said, you know, a few years ago, I was dreaming, and I don't know if you're familiar with the nine box, but it's basically a tool that's used by a lot of companies to make um, talent management decisions. And I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get rid of that tool because you could literally press a button and say, where are my high potentials? And it aggregates objective data based on the projects they've worked on and how often they've moved and whether they've moved country, whatever the parameters are to define what high potential talent looks like in your organization. And it literally is all at your fingertips. And you don't have to have, you know, five days of meetings to decide who is your highest potential manager in your in your team and then fight with someone else about whether they're higher potential or not than that manager, right? Because that's how things still work in big companies now. So I think there's tremendous amount of opportunity to use a more objective data-driven approach to, to promotions, to hires, to all of that stuff. It's, again, it's still in very nascent stages right now, and there is a need to parallel path and make sure that, you know, we're taking away our human bias, but also mitigating the technology bias. But if you if you envision like this is only, you know, less than a year in, if you envision like 10 years out, we'll spend a lot less time on, you know, arguing over the nuance and more time in what are we going to do with those high potential leaders so that they get the opportunities and development interventions that they need to actually get to where we want them to go. Yeah. And I love it because you start with how do we define a high potential? And actually that's the human task aspect to it, which is like, what are the criteria that we need to put in place in order to define who is high potential versus currently, you know, spending time in gathering the data, which I think is a, I wouldn't call it a useless task, but it's like, it's a mundane task. It just takes time to gather data while in reality, if you had it, everything at your fingertips, you just click on the button and you see who is performing best according to your criteria, then it just makes it easier and more productive. Yeah, exactly. And actually talking about productivity, I mean, a lot of people are expecting huge productivity boosts for companies due to AI. What do you foresee the future within the next two years to be within that space? Yeah, I mean, I think number one is figuring out what we mean by productivity. And again, I think that's very organization dependent. It's very team dependent. We need to get to a place where we actually know what productivity means. And in my opinion, really focus on the outcomes versus where people are or how they're getting to that outcome, right? So we have to get much better at defining our goals, defining the accountability structure, and then following up on that accountability, right? Versus like worrying about who's in the office two days a week this week and let's check a box and that makes them productive, right? 
Um, so I guess my 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 answer is that yes, there will be productivity gains. And I think the point I've made a few times is that we're not there yet because we're still not in a rhythm where A, AI is smart enough to totally rely on it. And B, we're not comfortable enough with it, right? So I think we're still in a period where we're going to see potentially stagnation of productivity or maybe a little bit of a dip in, in productivity in some cases to eventually get to a longer term goal of, of improving productivity. And again, let's define what we mean by productivity and at what cost. Yeah. And it's interesting because some companies are already, you know, delivering reports on the AI productivity boost. The data shows that it's indeed increasing a lot of productivities according to today's standard, which makes sense because as you said, like creating a PowerPoint becomes easier, creating a data set or analyzing data, it's just becoming easier. But I never thought about the metric of productivity being changed due to AI because it's probably not going to be the same anymore. Like you don't want to look at the same thing over and over. Like I believe I wasn't there, but like I believe there was a big change between before and after the internet, for example, right? For sure. I mean, any any technology tool that comes out, right? Like when the Excel spreadsheet came out, I'm sure there was a big shift in productivity, right? What I mean by defining productivity also at what cost is it doesn't mean because AI takes on a bunch of stuff, we should load more on humans. Like I think humans are completely burnt out right now. And we're at a juncture, again, where we're, we're not up the change curve. We're learning about how to partner with technology in a different way. So, you know, there is definitely room to reduce the amount of stuff we're busy on every day and give more room for kind of creativity, white space thinking, which we need in order to be the best humans we can be in partnership with AI. Yeah, definitely. And I like the way that you said it's probably going to reduce the workload on people like one part of the workload, which is more like the technical, mundane, repetitive task to deliver more on the creative task and the creative aspect of the work. Because some people think that AI is probably just going to reduce the amount of hours that we put into the work, which to some extent might be true. But like equally, I hope as humans, like we are smart enough to just use that as a leverage to creativity versus as a leverage to being more lazy. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there's something about kind of muscle atrophy also. Like, I think there's a lot of concern about, you know, when you take away some of those tasks, are, is our brain going to continue to evolve, right? Like, so for example, my handwriting is terrible now because I'm usually typing. So how do we keep those skills? How do we identify which skills we actually should keep? Like, is it important that I can't really write very well anymore? I would say it is important, but others would argue it's not. And what do we do in order to continue to build that muscle? So one example, I was just talking to an HR technology company that does learning and they develop learning modules and their content creators, even though they leverage AI for a lot of stuff that they used to do manually, they have writing days where they just go and write the content themselves, which may feel inefficient and duplicative, but A, they're continuing to build their skills and they're continuing to check to make sure that that the AI is is building content that's up to snuff. Um, so just little things like that to keep in mind. It's it, it may eliminate some of the very mundane tasks that we're like, oh, thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore, like data aggregation type of work. But when it comes to content development, we need to be careful that we're not kind of letting our brains go to mush. Yeah, I agree. And also because it it's not going to feel natural anymore, I feel like. 
because it seems like everyone has access to the same tool for creativity and then submit the same prompt engineering that they've learned, the outcome is probably going to be pretty similar. So it's like, what's your added value to the market if you just have the exact same product? And then it's probably where where natural shifts going to happen, which is where we need humans to have the creative aspect of it. Because otherwise, I mean, they can use AI to be more productive and you know generate faster and ideate faster, whatever. But like, at least they're going to have that creative human touch which is probably going to be the only thing that's going to, you know, keep us like keep se- companies separate from the ways they produce content, for example. Yeah, for sure. So talking about the future, I think there's another big topic for our generation and probably the following generation, which is sustainability. And it's outside of the technology space, even though there's a correlation between sustainability and technology. I was more wondering, like, you know, what is the role of human resources as part of the sustainability challenges that we are facing currently? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely an evolving space. I think, I I don't think any company does sustainability in the same way. I think, you know, HR is definitely involved in that, especially with the newer generations, sustainability is a core part of their employee value proposition and a core reason why they would choose to join or not join a company. Um, So it's definitely something to keep in mind. But I think there's as much as, you know, a chief sustainability officer at some companies that don't report to HR, right? Like they report to the CEO, right down to it's not on our radar right now at all, right? And and, and everywhere in between, similar to diversity is is experiencing a similar journey. I think it's, it's a few years ahead of the sustainability journey and goes through ups and downs depending on what's going on in our world. But I think, uh, you know, where it reports, what's its accountability, you know, what are its key stakeholders, what's its end goal um, are all questions that we're still really grappling with in most of our organizations. Yeah, definitely. And as you said, like, it's pretty similar to the diversity pillar of a company, because to some extent, that's something that needs to be embraced by everyone if you really want to have an impact, because like a sustainability officer, like a diversity officer by itself you know, they can't do much. Like if the hiring system, for example, is not diverse enough, then your company is not going to be diverse at the end of the day, most probably. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great effort, I feel like. Um, yeah, for sure. And would you say there need to be a shift in how we think about the values of a company to include more sustainability? Yeah, I think I think a lot of companies are going through that journey right now, right? Like what are our values? Um, You know, the trouble with values, we always hear, you know, values get a bad rap because we hear as like the thing that's on your wall, right? Like that nobody really pays attention to. Um, So I do think that the younger generations, especially again, are really looking for companies that walk the walk, right? They'd rather you not have a value on your wall than have a value on your wall and not, you know, not live by it. Um, so, you know, I do think it's something that comes up a lot in some of the purpose values work that I do with companies. Um, sustainability is always, you know, kind of discussed. Is this one of our core values? You know, is it something like integrity, which should be, you know, no, it should, it shouldn't even need to be said because it, 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 it's just a must and doesn't need to be one of our values. Right. So there's a lot of discussion, I think, about how to think about sustainability. Yeah. Interesting. I'm curious to see how that's going to go as well. I think it's uh, it's something sustainability specifically is going to have a big impact on companies and successful companies in the future as well. 
but we're almost at time. We have a couple of minutes left. So I wanted to switch to the last section for today, which is advice for early in career, you know, equipment, promotion, all of that, which I think is super important to people's career. And a question I wanted to ask is, if tomorrow I want to apply, you know, how can I increase my probability of being successful during the interview process? What I would say is, you know, at the at early stages of career, what most leaders are looking for are people who are just really curious and open-minded and willing to learn and willing to take feedback and willing to be collaborative. And, you know, I think the more you can highlight those things, the better. I have no idea kind of how the algorithms work at these companies and how they, how you even get through the screening process. But what I would say is, you know, if I were hiring someone right now, those are the types of things that I would be looking for because skills are changing. Skills needs are changing so much that I would be looking for people with those foundational capabilities to deal with change, to deal with last minute shifts, to deal with, you know, learning new things and, you know, go learn this and come back with a solution, right? Solution mindset, um, critical thinking. Those are all key things that are really critical in any role being hired. So the more you can demonstrate those things, the better. I, I don't have any like hacks for, you know, how to get your resume through or anything like that. But if I were hiring, hiring someone, that's what I would be looking for. And for example, would you say it's a good option to contact someone from the company prior to the interview process or like kind of try and do net, like cold networking, which is always a bit uncomfortable because you reach out to someone that you don't know and try just to get to talk to them? Like, is, it, is that a good idea? Yeah, I mean, I would bubble it up to relationships are really important. So, you know, if you do happen to have, you know, a friend who has a friend who's at the company, even, you know, approaching that person with a curiosity mindset, what's it like to work at the company, etc., I think is never a bad idea. When you reach out to someone cold, I would say, you know, always keep in mind what's in it for them. Because, especially senior leaders get approached a lot by a lot of different people who want a job, who want to sell them something, right? They're approached by people all day, every day. So, so you know, a warm connection is easier than a cold connection. I don't think it ever hurts to try and just really make sure that you deliver on what you, you offer, right? So if, if, they, if they respond, sure, let's set up time to chat and you don't then follow up with them for five days, like you've lost that connection. Um, so just really being respectful of their time and uh, and thinking about what's in it for them to connect with you are are, are things to keep in mind. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, I appreciate it. And def definitely, I feel like the connection aspect to it and the relationship aspect to work is somewhat misunderstood by people. I think it's probably one of the most important, you know, factors to someone's success, I guess, in the company or at least in the corporate world. And last but not least, and we'll probably end up on that, is now I've got into the company, I'm, you know, I've done a year or two in the company and I want to get promoted. What is the best advice to approach a promotion discussion? Um, so at most companies, you have to demonstrate that you've done a lot of what's required in the next role before you're promoted. I think people are sometimes too quick to demand promotion and they think it's the be all and end all. And at some point in your career, if you're promoted really, really, really fast, you might get stuck, right? So you might end up stuck at the director level for like 20 years because you were promoted so fast. So what I would say is focus less on the actual promotion. Obviously, it's really nice. It's a pat on the back. You generally get a bit of a raise. 
But think about the different experiences you're having in work. And if you're like, got it, I've mastered this role, I need something new. I'd say also be open to lateral roles that'll round you out. Because again, back to like, you don't realize this until you're way later in your career. Having diverse experiences, even at a lateral level, gets excels you more in the later stage of your career, right? So what I would say is focus less on promotion and more on the variety of experiences you're having in your work. And you'll end up with a more fulfilling career. If you're also always cha chasing promotion and money and titles, you may not feel as fulfilled as you actually think you are, right? Like the promotion feels really good on day one. And then it's like, that's your job. So, you know, I know I didn't directly answer your question, but, you know, proving that you are, especially if you're, if you're applying for a people leader role and you're an individual contributor, you got to show that you have leadership, right? Like you got to demonstrate leadership before you're ready to be promoted. So really just showing those things and not treating it as I've checked all these boxes and therefore I deserve a promotion because that's not how things work in organizations. Um, I think that that would be my advice. Like I've read something in a book which said like, if you give someone a raise or like a promotion um, or just a bonus, you're going to keep that person happy for like a week or two. And then, you know, that happiness feeling is going to go down after some, some months just because the money is not there anymore and you don't have that feeling anymore. While if you have a, a good culture, a good manager or like a good environment to work in, like you're going to keep people happy for much longer. They're going to stay at your company probably for much longer than if they just get good money out of your company. So... I like yeah. um, the way you answer that question. Well, listen, Naomi, we're almost at the end. Uh, I wanted to ask you, do you have one last thing for the audience? Well, Hugo, I think you've done an amazing job um, starting this podcast early in your career, um, taking the risk, getting out there, meeting people. So, so all of you should kind of take a page out of Hugo's book um, because you'll look back on this in 20 years and you'll say, wow, that was, that was pretty cool that I started a podcast, you know, that early in my career. So good on you. Um, I would say just to, to the listeners, just be curious, right? Get out there, figure out what your point of view is, figure out what you want, what, what you want out of life and out of your career. Um, and I think the last question was really good about, you know, don't chase promotions, be open to experiences, take those stretch projects that maybe nobody else wants to do because you never know who you're going to meet on those projects. Um, so really thinking about the type of work you're exposed to and the types of people you're exposed to is really, really important early in your career. I think it's a, it's a good end of the episode. Thank you so much, Naomi. I appreciate it. And I hope we meet again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Hugo. Take care. This concludes a new episode of Explore Already. We talked a lot about AI and how it's going to impact our work in the future. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please give it five stars on your podcast platform and give it a follow as well. And if you want to know more about Naomi Titleman, you can head over to LinkedIn or in the show notes of this episode, there's going to be a link to her podcast and her newsletter as well. This was Hugo from Explore.